You're listening to The 66, a podcast where we go through the books of the Bible one at a time. And probably if you're on the tail end of this Thessalonians lesson, you've heard us say about read, think, and apply and all that stuff <laughs> way too much. So we'll skip We're getting tired of it ourselves. Yeah, it's been a couple years worth. Um, but today we are excited. We are finishing up Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, or as Drew likes to call it, one Thessalonians. Yes. I'm not sure why he calls it that. Uh, our president uses that <laughs> terminology. Uh, I guess because there's a one in front of it. He's scholar-in-chief. Yeah. <laughs> scholar-in-chief. That's good. Um, but we are kind of coming in at the start of chapter 5, really halfway through a discussion on the return of Jesus, right? Yeah, so, there are there are differences, though, because mm-hmm. last week we talked about the end of chapter 4, which dealt with the problem of what happens after death. So it was like the problem of bereavement, grieving over loved ones. That's chapter 4, 13 through 18. Mm-hmm. And what we're getting into now is similar, and like you said, it flows out of the last discussion. It's all part of the same thing. But it's dealing more with what will happen at the end of the world, which deals with the problem of judgment. Yeah. So there are two different things, you know, and and uh, sometimes in gospel meetings or just in a regular sermon, I'll close by saying, you know, you don't know if you have another day. Uh, this is mm-hmm. urgent. Don't procrastinate because... You know, your life may come to an end, or the Lord may come back, or you may be yeah. inca- incapacitated in some way and not have another chance to repent. And so it's like, it's kind of like that. The end of chapter four is about death, mm-hmm. which is one way that your experience on earth ends. Chapter five gets into the end of the world or judgment day. And that's why we're mm-hmm. calling this episode the day of the Lord. It's funny to me, a lot of those things you just said, and we'll notice this later, and I want to come back a little bit more to this when we uh, kind of nerd out in that second section. Uh, A lot of things you said remind me of the prophets. We've been doing a lot of prophet study over here lately at Asheville Road. Um, It sounds so similar, these things that Paul is writing about in Thessalonians. It actually does borrow some from the prophets here, Um, but also similar to some other letters that Paul has written, um, also sounding kind of like prophecy, but it's uh, definitely an interesting chapter. It kind of closes out with the general advice, uh, but right. Drew's got our outline. Well, I'm just I'm going to give a, a an outline to the first eleven verses, and then, like you said, the verses twelve to the end. Uh, what did you say? You called it advice, or kind of general advice. General advice, yeah. Concluding thoughts. And there are these great one-liners mm-hmm. that Paul gives that you could you could live by. I mean, there's some great memory verses in there. Yeah, like verse sixteen. Yes, rejoice always. Right, which maybe is that in Greek the shortest verse in the Bible, and then in oh. English it's Jesus wept. I, I don't yeah. know. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. It's just trivia. But yeah, I think I, I learned know. that in Greek. Jesus First wept thing. is like three words, right? In Greek, right. Or, and this is just yeah. one word in the Greek. Yeah. If anybody's interested in that kind of stuff, which they're not. Yeah. So let me... Hashtag Bible trivia. <laughs> right. Uh, let's let's get into chapter 5. The first part here in verses 1 through 11 are about okay. the day of the Lord. So uh, as I said, it's kind of addressing a problem like last week, addressing the problem of grief or bereavement. Now we're addressing the problem of judgment and the end of the world. So Paul starts with the wrong solution. 
Number one, the wrong solution is trying to figure out the date of the coming of the Lord. Verse 1 says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brother, and you know those uh, that phrase, now concerning, is used a lot in 1 Corinthians, and a lot of people think when Paul uses that phrase, uh, he is responding to a question that's been sent to him or that he is addressing. Mm-hmm. So somebody may have asked him about the times and the seasons of the second coming. And he says to them, You have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware, so he must have discussed it with him when he was with him when he was with him in person, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. That sounds like a direct quote from Jeremiah. Yeah, like it's the very the same sort of language yeah even down to the pregnant women all of a sudden you know going into labor pains right because that's and it's a perfect metaphor because that's how those labor pains i'm told come you know my sister-in-law is expecting any week now i'll say it that way she's eight months Mm -hmm. pregnant and they have a plan together you know i guess all couples expecting children have this have a plan you know go bag bag packed you know ready to go at any minute because they don't know when there's a due date and that means absolutely nothing as you are aware of Uh, so there are actually two metaphors that he uses here to describe the suddenness with which the lord will come and how nobody knows there are no signs of it Uh, the first is the thief in the night which is a very familiar symbol uh peter uses it in second peter three and um the second is this labor pains upon a pregnant woman so it's teaching that the coming of the Lord will be unexpected, or I probably should say a better word, it will come suddenly yeah. and without warning. And uh, so that brings us, that's the wrong solution is to try to figure out when he will come so that you can, you know, think about that. There's a good reason for that. The motive behind that may be, you know, I want to do what I want to do until right before the Lord comes back. And then because God is so gracious, I'll get right with the Lord. And then he comes and I can have it both ways. Uh, so yeah. that's the wrong solution. That doesn't promote spiritual growth. It doesn't promote uh, a relationship with God. It promotes yeah. self. The right solution is recorded in verses 4 through 8, which is the solution of being prepared now while you have time. And be looking for this. He gives three reasons why people are unprepared in this section of Scripture. I'm going to go ahead and read verses 4 through 8. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation." So he gives three reasons why people are unprepared for the Lord's coming. It's uh, darkness, sleep, and drunkenness. And all of those, of course, have a spiritual connection. Darkness would be, you know, perhaps ignorance. Uh, Sleep would be, you know, unpreparedness. Drunkenness would be foolishness or just, you know, um, drunk with, um, you know, the world and not being prepared. All, all three of them relate to the lack of preparation. Yeah. Now, can I ask you, this might be better for our 
section on the second Thessalonians later. But I wonder if the reason they were wanting to know the time, there's a few of them wanting to know the time because of what he writes about in Second Thessalonians 3 about some of them being idle and not wanting to do anything. Maybe mm-hmm. because they're thinking, if Jesus is coming back any day now, why on earth would I do any work? Do you think, it, do you think that factors into, do you think the idleness of those people is related to this discussion on the day of the Lord? I do, you know, in verse 14 of this same chapter, he will he, he tells them to admonish the idol yeah. using that word. And I do want to save some of that discussion for when we get into Second Thessalonians. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, there were people who were saying the Lord, the, the return of the Lord will come any day now, which I mean, yeah. we're saying that today, but right. they were certain that the Lord had to come within their lifetimes, which created some of the problems addressed in the last chapter. Uh, other so some were reacting. They weren't really grieving over that. They were like, "Hey, that's great. I can quit my job. I don't have to work." Yeah. But they still needed to eat, and they were leeching off of other more responsible people. Yeah. They were causing a lot of problems, and we're looking at that with insight that we get from the second letter. Yeah. I don't think if you haven't read the second letter, then you just pass over this, not realizing mm-hmm. that background. I so think I think it's, it's good to bring it up. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I wasn't trying to get too deep, but just so everybody listening has a chance to know the background of maybe some of the issues in Thessalonica and why why it might be uh, some reasons they might have to be wanting to know the specific time. Yeah. Well, in this uh, solution of staying alert, he addresses those three problems, spiritual problems of darkness, sleep, and drunkenness with three solutions, which we've already read. The first is, verse 4, belong to the light. He says, you're not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. You are children of light. So instead of being in darkness, belong to the light. Uh, Number two, instead of being asleep, stay awake. Verse 6, let us not sleep, but let us keep awake. You know, that means be alert. It doesn't mean Mm -hmm. don't go to bed at night. These are are just... Thankfully. These are symbols, right. And verse 8, instead of being spiritually drunk, stay sober and self-controlled. So he says, uh, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Some of those uh, armor of God ideas that you find in Ephesians mm-hmm. 6. Yeah. So he concludes this part of it uh, talking about proof for the right solution. If the, right, the wrong solution is knowing the time of the coming of the Lord, and the, rel- and the right solution is staying alert. He gives proof of that or evidence for that solution in verses 9 and 10. God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you are doing. So, you know, our hope that the Lord is coming back, Mm -hmm. that feeds our alertness, stands on the foundation of, number one, the will of God. God is not destined us for wrath. He wants us to be saved. That's his will. And Christ's death, which made his will uh, possible. Yeah. So verse 11, he, who died for us so that whether we were awake or asleep, we might live with him. Can I point something out here that kind of... Yeah, please do. So I really like how you mentioned a moment ago that, and I didn't even catch this, but I caught something else. Uh that the end of chapter 4, starting in verse 13, is the same 
problem, but a different, I guess, focus on the problem. Two questions about the problem. The first one being, what about the resurrection? The second one being, what about the day the Lord's going to come? Something stylistically that backs that up. Um, you notice that verse 9 and 10 is almost like a... It's kind of like he's calling back to the previous discussion in verses 14 and 17 because he says, God has not destined us for wrath, but for salvation through Jesus who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. And you remember, so in this section, he's talking about being awake. Uh, but when he says asleep there, he means dead in verse 10. Uh -huh. Whether we are awake, oh. whether we're alive or dead, we are living with Christ. Yeah, that and can so, get confused with the other kind of sleep that he talks about, like he in talks verse about six, it. but that which sleep, is not being alert. And that sleep that he's talking about here in verse ten uh -huh. calls back to the sleep from the end of chapter four. That's a good point. Talking about the resurrection from the dead, mm -hmm. he says, "Don't grieve like those who have no hope. Those who have already died, those who have already fallen asleep, will by no means precede those, or we will not precede those who have fallen asleep." So he yeah, if is, you don't interpret that that way. Then you've got Paul saying in verse 10 that you can be asleep at the wheel. In other words, you, you yeah. can not be alert and, you know, it doesn't matter. You can you're going to live with him anyway. Yeah, you can either be walking in light or darkness or you live with yeah. him. So you're left, the only interpretation of that is sleep. I should have said that before, so I'm glad you're yeah. helping me clarify that. But in verse 10 of chapter 5, where he's kind of wrapping up this discussion of the coming of the Lord and the resurrection of the dead, he says, whether we're alive or dead, we're going to live with him, calling back to that previous section. And it's also interesting to me that in verse 11, he closes this section of that discussion in the exact same way he closed the first one. Yeah. Therefore, encourage one another with these words in 4.18. Then here in 5.11, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Right. So it's yeah. stylistically, even those two sections tie together very well. Yeah. It's... You the structure is there if we mm -hmm. care to look for it. Yep. Um, but speaking of that, we kind of get a more a looser structure uh, as we come to the end of this chapter. Yeah, definitely. And, so. Um, so there are several instructions here, and I'm just going to enumerate them. Okay. Can you help me keep track of my numbers? Be a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. So number one is to respect your elders, not elders in general, but those in the office of elder, pastor shepherd, bishop, overseer, whatever you want to call that office. All yeah. of those titles apply to the same office. Right. He, he calls them those who labor among you. And uh, we just gather from context that he's talking about the eldership. Yeah. So he asks them to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. That authority suggests the office of the elders mm -hmm. and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. That's the first instruction. Right. Number two, be at peace among yourselves. Okay, you know, I don't think there needs to be a whole lot of explanation about that. Yeah. Number three, all of verse 14 to me is about patience. So number three would be be patient, but then he talks about what that involves from a Christian point of view. So verse 14 begins, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak. Be patient with them all. All so of being, those things definitely require patience. Right, yeah. So being But being patient with one group involves different actions than being patient with the other groups. Yeah. So like if they're idle 
And that word is a very specific word we'll get into again when we get to 2 Thessalonians 3. But it's those kinds of people, okay. the busy bodies who do no work and mooch off of others. Disorderly. Dependent on others. Yeah, right. Kind of... You admonish them. You warn them. I've heard it's like a soldier who's like marching out of step or falling yeah. behind the group or something like exactly. that. Exactly. That's or... the imagery behind yeah. that. That's true. Disorderly um, might be the most literal way to word that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so does it take a lot of patience to admonish people like that? Of course it does. It's Definitely. a lot easier to look the other way, mm-hmm. just let it go. And we all know that, and we've all done that. If you've That's ever not spent any time around teenagers. You yeah, <laughs> right. You just say, what, no, what's the point? Like, you know, yep. what, yeah. Uh, when it comes to the faint-hearted, it takes patience, does it not, to encourage them. Right. Um, it can be a real drain on you emotionally to work with faint-hearted people and help lift them up because they're mm-hmm. going through such a difficult time. Right. Thirdly, when it comes to the the weak, spiritually weak, those weak in faith, uh, you help them. You don't yeah. just look the other way and say, well, I got too much on my plate. So this is all about patience, which mm-hmm. was number three, I think. I really should write these things yes. down. Yes, one was respect the R- elders. Respect pastor. and esteem the elders. And, yeah. The next uh, one was be at peace. Number three, be patient. be patient. Yep. So number, number four, four, do not seek retaliation. So yeah. he says, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Uh, number five, rejoice always. Number six, pray without ceasing. Number seven, give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Did I say that was seven? <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'm trying to jot them down. Okay, good. Go. <laughs> Number eight, do not quench the spirit. Yep. And uh, I believe that has reference with the spiritual gifts of the first century. Yeah. We're talking about miracles here. But when you look at what the spirit has done through the word, um, that needs to that fire needs to keep burning in our hearts as well. Uh, so what's next? What number? You're on number nine. Well, let's say number eight goes into verse 20. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Yeah. I think all verses 19 through 21 are all the same thing. It's just we we don't get it miraculously today. Um, but we're, you know, prophecies come in. We respect them, but we test them according to what has already been revealed. Mm-hmm. And the trash we get rid of, we hold fast to the good part of it. In other words, yeah. that which checks out with God's Word. Right. And then finally, he says, abstain from every form of evil. And just a general prohibition against evil conduct. Mm-hmm. And then Paul ends with a prayer, as he often does. And uh, he asks for prayer. And he greets uh, the. He tells them to greet everyone with a holy kiss. Verse 27 is really interesting, and we see it at the end of other letters, like I think it's at the end of Colossians, yeah. where he says, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. Yeah, I was about to bring that up. The, yeah, he's wanting them to treat this letter like Scripture, right? That's the way yeah. I take it. I just like, I mean, I'm imagining these elder, these elders in Thessalonica reading this, like, I put you under oath before the Lord to read yeah. this letter to all the brothers. Right. All right, well. They better do it. <laughs> yeah. And all the brothers, you know, oh, that's about the public reading in Thessalonica. But yeah. also, you're not far from Philippi. Take this letter to Philippi. Right. Uh, you know, I, I think it's in Colossians where he says, take this letter to 
uh, Laodicea and get the letter that they have yeah, right. and read their letter before. And I'm, that, I always point that out because people yeah, it's often say that these 27 books of the New Testament were not used as Scripture until Constantine, which is absurd. I mean, there's no histor- history to point that out. Yeah. And the internal evidence shows that Paul's letters were read as scriptures. Peter himself said that Paul's letters were scripture. And it's obvious from the end of a lot of these letters that Paul is mm-hmm. you know, expecting them to read it. And you, you see it here more than anywhere else where I am putting you under oath. Yeah. In other words, so help you, God. <laughs> he's yeah. not making the oath. He's putting, making them. Right. He's giving them the oath without them saying it. You know, so help you, God, if you do not read this as scripture before your congregation and pass along to other congregations. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty serious way to end the book. Right. I think you know maybe we should end some sermons like that. Yeah. Let's maybe end this podcast that way. We'll see. Okay, so we're back to do our second section of the podcast entitled Think. We yes. Get, we get really creative with our segment titles. Oh, well, you here. know, <laughs> I think it's a good slogan. Read, think, apply. Oh, yeah. Based on our three segments. TM. Yeah. You trademark that. Yeah. Hashtag trademark. Uh, so, first thing I want to do very quickly is talk about a few sections, well, really two sections of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that are remarkably similar to some passages in Romans. Um, Very, very similar. I got this first one from Earl Edwards from his commentary. So 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 through 8, where he's talking about light and darkness and being awake and putting on the armor, is almost identical to Romans 13, uh, starting in verse 11. Uh, Both of them are outlined this way, basically. Starting at the beginning, he tells them to stay awake, or he tells them to wake up. He says it's time for you to wake up. Um, in the next part of the verses, they say he says to be self-controlled in Thessalonians. In Romans, he says put away all these dark deeds of the body, so self-control. And then he says put on spiritual armor, put on armor of light. In Romans, he tells them to put on mm-hmm. armor as well. So it's very interesting how those things, the language, even the words used are very similar. But the next one, I think, is uh, the one I really wanted to talk about was in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 22, that section that we said is kind of just general advice. Why would Paul close out a letter? Is he just thinking about everything he can think of to just throw it in there for good measure at the end of a letter? Uh, it's kind of where this came from for me because uh, I, you know, I guess I just like for some of these things to have some sort of organization you know um but it is a letter yeah you know so it sometimes it probably comes from my problem is like the first new testament book that i really got into studying was romans yeah and that is highly structured yeah you know it's a a letter i'm expecting to see at least a certain degree of structure and this one has been pretty structured right yeah paul for the most part is pretty structured um but that section in 12 through 22 uh, is very similar to Romans 12, mm-hmm. verses 9 through 21. 
And this is a section where Paul is talking about being a living sacrifice over in Romans. Basically giving a short rundown of what a legitimate Christian looks like. And all of these things about legitimate Christianity mentioned in Romans 12 are mirrored in 1 Thessalonians 5. So um, you said we had nine earlier. Uh, I've got nine things that are, some of them are identical. Some of them just the, the idea is there. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, I'm just going to run through these. Uh, he says, respect those who labor over you. Verse 10 of Romans 12 says, outdo one another in showing honor. Um, verse 13 of Thessalonians, be at peace among yourselves. Over in Romans, he says, live peaceably with all. Thessalonians, he says, admonish the idle. In verse 11 of Romans, he says, do not be slothful in zeal. Uh, He says, help the weak in Thessalonians. Uh, Over in Romans, he says, contribute to the needs of the saints. He also says to associate with those who are lowly. That word for lowly is very closely associated with weak. Um, Thessalonians, he says, do not repay evil for evil, um, repay good for evil, basically. And over in Romans, you have that famous section of do not be overcome by evil, but rather overcome evil with good. He's talking about not taking vengeance, which how you described it was don't seek retaliation. That's exactly what Paul's talking about in Romans uh, as well. Tells them to rejoice always. Rejoicing is found in Romans. Um, He tells them to rejoice in tribulation, or excuse me, rejoice in hope and to be patient in tribulation. Also to rejoice with those who rejoice uh, pray without ceasing from verse 17 in Romans. He says to be constant in prayer. Um, mm-hmm. Thessalonians, it says don't quench the spirit. In Romans, he says be fervent in spirit. Could also be the spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a footnote in the ESV that, that also gives you the capital S. And then finally, um, in Thessalonians, he says hold fast to what is good and abstain from evil. And then over in mm-hmm. Romans uh, 12.9, he says hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. So it's just pretty interesting to me that while all those things, maybe when you see them at the end of Thessalonians, they look like just a grab bag of here's some good advice. Um, it's not just a grab bag of stuff. This is These are things that are a part of a legitimate Christian life. And as Paul's mm-hmm. closing out the letter, sort of a reminder of, hey, be continue to walk as you have been, basically, yeah. or continue in these things of true Christianity. Right. Um you know, I imagine when Paul preached in person, he might have rolled these out quite frequently at the conclusion of a sermon or yeah. a discussion. Mm-hmm. Because of human behavior he had observed, these are behaviors he had to frequently emphasize. So this was Paul's knowing like, people together as we stand and sing. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> Except much better. Yeah. Uh but anyway, uh, what else? let's get into some of these uh, things that are a little confusing. Yeah, I, so the first, the first confusing one was from verse 19 where he says, Do not quench the Spirit. And right, he, I was thinking a while ago when you said yeah. the Romans could say, uh, Be fervent in the Spirit. Yeah. I could say, 1 Thessalonians 5.19 could read, Do not quench the lowercase s Spirit. <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And do not yeah. quench your inner spirit. Yeah. Because we don't have, you know, that capitalization is a decision made by the translators. It's not mm-hmm. in the original. It's not necessarily lowercase in the original either. 
Yeah, we have to look at the there. context. Um, now, the fact that he brings up prophecies in the very next verse suggests he's talking about spiritual gifts. No. Right? I mean, yeah, that's I would... the way I read it. I think it is right. In other words, I do think it should be capital S. Yeah, I definitely think it should be capital S. Um, Quench is related to the Spirit as a fire, which mm-hmm. is a common symbol for the Holy Spirit. You look at Acts yeah. 2, the tongues as a fire over yeah. the apostles as they were speaking yeah. in tongues, languages. I kind of take it uh, just based on what I've read about this verse, and you can tell me um, what you think, whether or not I'm right or wrong on this. Okay, I will. But it's kind of similar to what you were saying in the last uh, segment of the podcast here um, about maybe some of the people were neglecting the gifts they had been given. Perhaps Paul laid his hands on them and they received some of these spiritual gifts, uh, some of the miraculous ones, but maybe some of the ones that um, weren't as miraculous by their nature, you know, where Paul talks about some of you have gifts in, was it encouragement and Yeah, uh, natural gifts, mercy, uh, giving, generosity. So I think some of those gifts maybe were being suppressed or not used, or maybe even somebody could Faith speak in up. tongues or somebody could heal or someone could do those it, other things, and they just yeah. weren't. They were almost like dowsing it out. So when I read that quench yeah. the spirit, you know, uh, you think of it like when you're thirsty, if you drink some water and it quenches your thirst, that just means you're not thirsty anymore mm-hmm. and you don't want anything else to drink. So quenching the spirit... I shutting, think of is shutting him out. Yeah, you're done with it. Like I've I've had enough. I'm finished. I'm I'm full up on that. Let's let's just leave that alone for mm-hmm. a while until maybe I need it again later. He could have just as well said, "Do not ignore the spirit." Yeah, don't put out the fire. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I I think it's I don't think he's referring to natural gifts like faith, hope, love, mercy, encouragement, generosity. I think this is very specific to the gifts of the Spirit that have to do with revelation and confirmation. In, in other words, that communication of the will the of God. Because he mentions, verse, yeah. you know, he mentions prophecies, and then he says, test everything. It just seems like he's saying, test doctrine, and then hold fast to the good, mm-hmm. and ignore or eradicate the error, the erroneous, <laughs> whatever the I'm error. trying to say. Uh, yeah, I'm let me ask you this. Tired. Yeah, yeah, we do. We we'll have to go get some more coffee. Uh, we're at home stretch of this segment anyway. Uh, what do you think about? And I just thought of this, so this is literally off the top of my head. And I have not read this in any of these commentaries I've used to study on Thessalonians. Nowhere in my notes. But I wonder if this "do not quench the spirit" maybe is not a a personal thing. Like if I have a gift of prophecy, because when I originally read this, I think. If I have the gift of prophecy, then I don't want to use it. This says, don't quench the spirit. I'm thinking, okay, well, I better use my gift of prophecy. But with Which, that... Which, by the way, there is proof in 1 Corinthians 14 that prophets had control over yeah. the prophecies. And they could quench their own prophecy. So maybe I think I the saying is the spirit, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Something yeah. like that. But go, go ahead. Because I think you're saying it could be something other than the prophet quenching the spirit in him. I wonder if it's more directed at maybe these leaders of the church that he's appealing to in verse 27, uh, where he says, yeah. put you under oath. I wonder if he's saying, hey, when someone has a prophecy, don't despise it. Because don't of just... who the person is, who the vessel is. That's the way I read it. Oh, that's he said not... there's a prophet that came in from out of town, or okay. maybe somebody they didn't like too well. 
but he has the gift of prophecy. Maybe they're more likely they're jealous of him, those who are trying to quench the spirit. The spirit is in that congregation so through that person. So quenching the spirit would be more of a like disregarding a yeah. prophet here rather than yeah, not just, using your own gift. Right. Uh, maybe I, that's the way I read it because of the whole testing thing. I mean, if it's the spirit within me and I'm being told, don't listen to the prophecy that's in you, well, how do I test that? You know, I guess I could still say, are my. It's hard for us not being in the miraculous age to understand what the experience was like. Mm-hmm. But I don't see a prophet having this miraculous idea put into his mind and then saying, Eh, nah. I don't want to that say this. Was, or, you that know, gift was held in higher regard, right? From 1 Corinthians 12. Like not as high as and... the tongue speaking for some reason. Hmm. Uh, but yet, in Paul's view, prophecy was the most important thing. Yeah. And the prophets were to speak in turn, one after the other, not on top of each other. There were... Yeah. There were there was because it's human nature, there was contention around these spiritual gifts. As you see in Paul's letters, every time they're mentioned, he has to like tell them to grow up. And if somebody is speaking prophecy, well, before you shut him out because you don't agree with it, test it according to what has been revealed already. Yeah. And if it doesn't con- conflict this, and if we're looking at a genuine miracle, then God is speaking to you and you you need to listen, hold fast what is good. Mm-hmm. In our, in our application today, though, the miraculous age has served its purpose, and so it has passed away. Look at the end of 1 Corinthians 13. That's what all of that is about. I'm not going to take yeah. up a lot of time to go over this today, because I think, I think we've done this several times by now on the podcast. I think but so. we're not in the miraculous age today. The uh, analogy would be to um, you know the Word of God. Do not quench the sword of the Spirit. Don't quench, don't quench the Word. Test everything that is taught and hold fast to that which is in accordance with the Word of God. Man, that's a great application that I would not have even ever made if we had not mashed record and started doing this podcast today. Really? Because you thought it was somebody holding the Spirit down in himself. I've always heard this taught um, as like, don't quench the Spirit like within you. Like, yeah. But it's never, I've never heard it like, used in the context other than, hey, here's just some general advice. One of these points hmm. of general advice is don't quench the spirit that you have. Huh. So like, you know, okay. be fervent in spirit. Get out, do things. Well, you know where that comes from? Have you thought about, is it Second Timothy? Um, don't neglect the gift that was given to you. Fan into yeah. flame the gift of God which is in you through the right. laying on of my hands. That's what uh, I've heard to. If that's the problem that you're bringing up, and that lends support to the idea of the individual quenching his own spirit. Mm-hmm. But it just seems to me with this testing idea that it has to be the other the person. Focus you is know, on the, yeah. You test what he is saying. Like 1 John 4, 1. Do not believe every spirit, but mm-hmm. test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Okay, so I'm going to make a note on this. And I want to spend a little bit of time applying that in the next segment. Okay. Uh, like how we can quench the word now. Um, okay. When somebody's yeah. speaking to us or whatever, so we'll talk about that. I just made a note. Yeah, I got um, that. I made. I made a much, note too. All right, <laughs> we're writing over. We here. got how five much, minutes. In this segment, we got five left. Let's do the. Uh, let's do since I, I didn't even bring it up in the reading. Okay. Let's do. Make sure we do verse twenty-three. Yeah, we need. Well, five what do, what do you to do want that. to do? I was just going to bring up First John four about testing the prophets, but 
Andrew, I just yeah. said that. You already said first yeah, John. Yeah, first John four one. My wheels were. Do turning not believe all. <laughs> my wheels were turning on this thing. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Yeah, for go. many false prophets gone out in the world. Okay, I, just, I didn't finish the verse. I missed the reference. I was focusing too much on this. I'm excited about that. I've well, it's like we said before we turn today. turn the the recorder on here. That uh, contrary, and we don't have to worry about our wives listening. Yeah. They, they did not get this far. Uh, you cannot do two things at once. That is true. We agree on that. Cannot right? take notes. And you were reading, to what you're which that's fine because we're yeah. we're working here. While I was talking, and you didn't hear it. Yep. Which you know you can't do two things at once. And now we've wasted two minutes. That's why I'm not chewing gum right about. now. <laughs> Uh, so verse 23 has this, it's the only place in the entire New Testament where the human, no, I was about to say human Boy, this is getting eloquent here. Where human existence is defined in three pieces instead of just two. So usually you say we, this is the only place? In the New Testament, yeah. So maybe it is somewhere in the Old Testament, I just don't know. Uh, but in the New Testament, it's the only place where instead of just body and soul or body and spirit, which is how we're used to reading this, it gives us three pieces of human, I guess, existence is the right word. Uh-huh. I'm not sure. But Being, it says... It's ontological. Yeah, there we I go. Probably, no, that's, I don't know. What, I'm confused now. Uh, but he says this in verse 23. This is his prayer that you mentioned. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he makes a distinction here between the spirit, the soul, and the body. Now, there are other passages that make a distinction between soul and spirit. Okay, uh, right. Luke, Luke 1, 46-47, Mary's uh, rejoicing her song there. talks about how her soul's doing this, her spirit's doing that. But that's in yeah. parallelism, so it could just be two ways of saying the same thing. Yeah. But then you've got uh, Hebrews four twelve, where the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and of spirit and joints yeah. and marrow. And uh seems like it's in another place, right? Well, Marshall's um, lied to me then. I got that. Well, no, the but see, in both of those, body is not in there. Maybe this is so. The only that's one correct. Where all that's technically of those correct. Are specifically brought out at the same time. Yeah, but we all look at the dualism. We all recognize the dualism, like in James two twenty six, where he says, mm-hmm. "Death is just as." Just as this, I'm trying to help you body. out here, but I'm not that smart. Oh, Sorry, man. you need a uh, smarter body, co-host. Okay, as the body apart from the spirit is oh, dead. Oh yeah, I knew so that. faith apart from works is dead. I knew that. So the body, you know, so we we do the division of body and soul slash spirit, but this is the we only place where about. it splits it three ways. Yeah. So, and what, so the question is, what's the you know? I think everybody knows the difference between the body and the soul slash spirit. No. What's the difference? Is there any difference between soul and spirit? No. That's the question, right? Do you want me to stab at it or do you want to go think. first? I want to know what you think. I was about to ask you what you think. <laughs> um, what do you think? Okay, so I would say at least the easiest way to describe this, I'm trying to kind of collect my thoughts here as they come out of my <laughs> mouth, because I have a few notes on what I've been uh, researching on this from earlier today. Um But I guess we could think about it like this. Um, You know, in the Greek, spirit and soul and body, obviously, they have very different terms, but spirit and soul are closely related. Spirit is that word, uh, you know, it means wind or breath. Yeah, pneuma. 
souls, that suke that you talked about last week, right? Yeah. We spent Thanks a lot of time talking about that word soul. Yes. Um, and then body, obviously, is referring to the physical nature of the body. So you have it split up. And pneuma, I guess spirit, is kind of represents the the highest, what's the best word here? It's um, more specific than suke. Yes. The word, and our listeners are saying, whoa, 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 you know, so the word translated spirit here is has a narrower meaning. Would you agree? I would it, say only soul. invisible stuff, right? Animals Breath, are said to wind. have the. Well, wait, don't confuse okay. people. Sorry. Uh, so spirit, the word translated spirit, is limited to the invisible stuff, right? Wind. Yes. Breath. Spirit, immortal spirit. Yeah. Or, Holy Spirit. Yeah. Numa. Mm-hmm. And so there's like a word play on that in John three. You can. Yeah. Our listeners can look that up later. No. Yeah. So okay, but soul. Now get into what soul is translated from the word suke. Yeah. Which means which just basically means like biological life, right? So well, like it can. Uh, I know animals in the Old Testament are said to have this. Um, right. Uh, the word nephesh. Yeah. You say it. I guess. Nephesh. That's, that That's the Hebrew like a word. Way to say it. Yeah. Suke is equivalent to nephesh. Yeah. So it's kind of like a just. Life in general. So you could, I mean, you could break this up and the say... The whole person. You have the whole person, which is the spirit, or like the heart from the Old Testament even. You know, like this seat of all of your emotions and... That's the soul. Morality and everything. Well, I think you could, you maybe could make a case for this kind of division here. You've got body as your physical, physical, like the vessel, right? Mm-hmm. You've got soul as the life that inhabits that vessel and makes it walk and talk and move. And then you've got the spirit, which controls like the moral center of your body, something that's, you know, like you said, invisible. But it's like almost building up to, you know, like going backwards, if you go body, soul, spirit, it's building up to that seat of your whole existence. like The, the thing part that, of you that lives after you die. Yeah. Right. That James mentioned. So, okay, now I wanted to say more about suke, the soul. Okay. The Greeks would break existence, human existence, into body and spirit, and they had this dualism where the body is material, therefore it is evil, only the invisible spirit is good. So, you know, that led to asceticism or indulgence in sinful behavior, things like that, saying, well, the body is irredeemably corrupt. Soul in the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, brings everything together as if to say, no, the body is important too. And the body and the spirit mm-hmm. together are all that God looks upon as a person. So the Bible's definition of a person, wrapped up in the Greek word suke, the Hebrew word nephesh, uh, is the whole person. But then yeah. sometimes, because it, because it has all of those meanings, it is used in both places. Yeah. It's used to refer to the whole the whole person. It's used sometimes to refer to the biological processes, like the heart beating, the breathing right. going on, the the life in you, mm-hmm. biologically speaking. And then in a few cases, it's used just of the spirit, you know, the invisible part of us that yeah. goes on after we after we die. So you, okay, so people want to say there are three parts. Maybe here's how mm-hmm. I feel about it. Okay, I think Paul is just doing like. We do sometimes when we describe, you know, 
uh, he he spread that message over the whole world. Yeah. We don't really mean that. Or like we, we say, heart was, and soul, which yeah, basically is yeah, the same thing. Yeah, he put his heart right? and soul. Yeah. So if you've ever said that, and everybody listening to this probably said that, he put his heart and soul into that. Yeah. What if somebody came up to you and said, oh, yeah, what's the difference between the heart and the soul? <laughs> yeah. You just said it. You just said it. Right. And then they're and, doing like me, like, well, the heart <laughs> well, is the heart, this. Okay, so it pumps the blood. <laughs> and the soul, soul is that, you know, immortal part of you. Yeah. Well, then the Bible says there's a difference between soul and spirit. Yeah. So what do you do about that? So I think that maybe Paul was just yeah. using a colloquialism and saying would... body, soul, spirit. But if people mm-hmm. want to draw a distinction between soul and the spirit, it can be drawn yeah. in that the soul is the biological processes going on that stop at physical death, and the spirit goes on after you die, except for the fact that sometimes the word translated soul is used for that as well. Yeah, so it's the, after speaking technically about this for about five minutes, we say, I say, don't be so technical about this verse. So that's... <laughs> All right. Pause, let's go okay. get a cup of coffee, and we'll come back. I think you just, you laid that out very well. That's what I was trying to get around well, to. It's Andy, I appreciate just, that, man. Really it's, it's either just he's saying the same thing, like you were saying, or if there is a distinction there, whichever else, Paul talks about the soul and the spirit being very similar to each other all over mm-hmm. the place. So that's why people make a big deal about this verse, because he does make, seems like a distinction, but he's probably not making a big theological point about the human existence here by saying, okay, you have the vessel, the life that fills the vessel, and then the the spirit that guides all of it or yeah. that controls your morality. He's, not, he's concentrating on their salvation. I right. want you wholly to be blameless before God because of Jesus. Yeah. are back with some points of application. I think that the best thematic statement of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is in verse 18 when he says, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. People really struggle with this question of what is God's will for my life? And I think one of the reasons they have that struggle is because they're looking for very specific choices that God has made for them beforehand, and their job is to try to discover these silent choices that God has made that only He knows, and that, you know, if I don't make the exact choice that He has in mind for me, then my life is going to go totally wrong. But when he describes the will of God here, it's general things that will cause you to choose the right thing. Uh, So it's not focused on the individual choices like, who am I going to marry, what am I going to do for a living, etc., but if you walk in the way that he prescribes here in 1 Thessalonians 5, walking in the light is the way that he kind of puts it, walking as children of light, then you will you will make the right decisions. So there are 11 of them, which means we have to move quick because we've got about 12, 13 minutes here. Here's the first one from verses 1 through 11, the first part that we spent a lot of time on in the reading Prepare for the second coming. Prepare for the day of the Lord. Uh, That's the first one. And he says that we have to be prepared because you don't know when he's coming. He could come at any time. 
Yeah, this is the one that I was saying reminds me so much of Jeremiah because he even says, you know, uh, when people are saying there's peace and security. Right. So it even matches when Jeremiah says, my prophets are saying peace, peace, when there is no peace, but destruction is coming quickly. And here, mm-hmm. you know, it's the exact same thing. Just sudden destruction is coming. And it's just a good reminder. Uh, Thessalonians is for New Testament Christians. Mm-hmm. You know, I read the prophets all the time, and we've recently taught a lot of prophets. Some do minor prophets now. And so it's just a heavy dose of all these warnings and prophecies to people of, you're going to die if you don't change, and they never do. Sleeping nations. Yeah. You know, are the audiences of the major and minor prophets. Right. And so now the people that are that need to wake up are Christians. So this is not anything that's already been fulfilled. You know, this is this still stands for everybody reading this now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have our own little Jeremiah that, uh, that applies directly to us. Mm-hmm. It's just, I really wish I'd seen this back when we were doing our Jeremiah stuff because mm-hmm. uh, that's a really great application, the yeah. sense of urgency, I guess. Yeah, that's right. All right, number two, the will of God is for you to encourage one another. That's verse 11, and as you said, it was brought out in chapter 4, verse 18 last mm-hmm. week. What's interesting to me is we're to encourage one another with instruction on the end of the world. Yeah. And, I mean, if most Christians are being honest, the day of the Lord does not bring them comfort. Yeah. That, to me, means we're not prepared or we love this world too much. And look, I'm preaching to myself as well. Mm -hmm. But if you want the will of God for your life, you encourage one another with an expectation of the day of the Lord, which means your salvation and the end of death and disease and pain and crying and sorrow, an eternal world for a temporal world. And what and when you think about it, that alone encourages you for any situation you're going on in life. Yeah. It doesn't matter how bad things are, when you talk about what's coming in the life to come and how can you not be encouraged in any situation. Right. Number three, esteem and respect your leaders in the church, the elders. Yeah. It's verses twelve and thirteen. Uh number four, and I know we kind of did this during the reading as well, but I've gone all the way through the chapter with this. Number four, be at peace among yourselves. And you tied a lot of this into Romans 12. Mm -hmm. So we'll throw Romans in there with it, where Paul says in verse 18, if it is possible, live peaceably with all men. So, you know, we have our role. We can't control the other person. All of that is uh, assumed by Paul in this instruction. Right. Number five, be patient with all people. And I won't go back over the three types that are listed there in verse 14, but there's a different approach to different people when you're trying to be patient. And when you think about it, you can't do the previous number without this one. You cannot be at peace with people unless you right. have patience with people. Yeah, if people are going to drive you absolutely crazy sometimes, have patience with them. Yes. Number six, do not seek revenge or retaliation whatever you want to call it. There's more peace for That's it. That's verse 15. Right, exactly. A lot of this yeah. could be all peace. Uh, yeah. We could have shortened our list that yeah, way. Yeah, we could have condensed it. But don't repay evil for evil. Yeah. Good for evil. And uh, you do right even when others are doing wrong. Um, yeah. That's not our natural reaction, but that's, yeah. that's possible because God does exact 
execute vengeance at judgment. So we, we, we're not going to worry about whether something is fair because God is going to make it fair at the end, which tells yeah. me I can turn off my desire for justice, mm-hmm. let God have that, and I just seek to feed my enemies and give them something to drink when they're thirsty. The thing I think of the most with this is most dramatically displayed when there's, I know of a story where there was this family, um, there were two siblings and the parents, and one of the siblings was killed in a car accident, was a drunk driver. And the parents, I'm trying to remember all the details here, but long story short, somehow the parents like wind up dropping charges against this guy the parents wow. and the sibling all wind up basically doing what you read in Romans about praying for this guy, blessing this guy. They went to him. They're like, we want you to know that we, you know, we forgive you. We hope that you'll change and da, 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 da. And that, I heard that story a long time ago. And ever since like that to me is the epitome almost of not repaying. Yeah. Because your, your first response, if I'm that, I'm like, well, this guy's going to rot in jail for the rest of his life, you know? Mm-hmm. Or why, you know, he deserves to an eye for an eye, you know? Yeah. That's just, not our role. And yeah. that's impressive. And Christ did it, right? Yeah. Peter says when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Yeah. Um, but kept entrusting himself to God. Yeah. Uh, number seven, rejoice. Not only that, but rejoice uh, always. Mm-hmm. In bad times and good times, number eight, pray without ceasing. Which prayer we could is, talk about for hours. Yeah, be continually in prayer. Here, but yeah, you know, I, it doesn't really need to be said, but I'll go ahead and say it anyway. This <laughs> isn't about like your lips are constantly moving and all you ever do oh, is yeah. pray. Yeah. But you're in a state of prayer at all times. You live your life with the recognition that God sees you, that His will is before you that he is with you and you speak to him often, constantly, mm-hmm. maybe is a word that we would use instead of without That's, ceasing. Constantly is the term used over in Romans. Oh, okay. Constantly yeah. in prayer. Be constant in prayer. I think that's, you know, that that's what he means here, obviously. Yeah. Uh, number nine, give thanks in all circumstances, which is kind of like rejoice always. Mm-hmm. Number 10, from our interpretation in the last segment, I would say... Quench not the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test everything, hold fast what is good, means hold fast to the word of God. Yeah. And I wanted, I got a little note on this one. I know we're really running out of time. So no, we're gonna, good. Okay. Um, so what we talked about earlier and kind of defined this not quenching the spirit um, as maybe from the perspective of those who are hearing these prophecies in the New Testament, don't disregard somebody who has a prophecy for whatever reason but test it according to Scripture to see if it's true. It reminds me of those Christians in Berea who are testing what Paul says according to the Scriptures to see if they're true. And I think this is especially relevant now in America because of the way we, for lack of a better word, consume biblical teaching. The way we take in biblical teaching. So you, you plop a bunch of people down in a classroom or in an auditorium at a church, they are going to listen more times than not to the speaker, to the Word of God is what I should say more. Um, They're going to listen to the presented Word of God 
depending on how that thing's wrapped up and packaged. And I know to some degree, the responsibility falls on the person speaking to be able to speak in such a way that people can hear him. And I totally get that, and I'm totally on board with that. But there is a lot of responsibility on the hearers, too. So hearers are not 100% passive in any situation. Passive hearing is not what's expected in a worship service or in a Bible class. It's like being a catcher uh, for baseball. Like The catcher's not just passive sitting there. The catcher has to be very good at what he does to be successful at it. He's got to be able to read different kinds of pitches, catch them in different places, read the spin on the ball. So it's, there's some skill required in listening, too. And I want to put the responsibility right now on the listeners um, for the Word of God because we can quench the Word, put out the fire of the Word of God, quench the sword of the Spirit now, which is the Word of God, uh, when somebody's trying to teach it to us. Whether on one end, somebody can be very um, charismatic and look really good, and, you know, have the torn up jeans and the spiked up hair <laughs> and the tight t-shirt um, and and say a lot of things that are rah-rah, get you excited. But we have to test that according to Scripture. Now, on the opposite end, you might have a guy that get up and he's like, I don't know, the, the opposite Dull. of what you think you can relate to. Mm-hmm. You know, so somebody, maybe for most people, that'd be somebody, like you said, dull, boring, monotone. You know, for whatever it is, the opposite of what you would be attracted to listen to. If somebody brings you the Word of God in that format, they still might have the words that could change your entire life before you walk out of there. Not because they're insightful or amazing, because there's there's no power other than the ability to communicate in a speaker. The power is what they are communicating. Mm -hmm. That's what's going to change you. So we've got to be willing in, in any any instance where we're getting the word of God, kind of like these people were in the in the New Testament, getting it through prophecy. Now we're getting it through the word of God, but presented through a person. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got to be willing to test what they say according to Scripture and not despise some people mm-hmm. or the messages of some people just because the way they package it. Yeah, that's a good point. And, man, it resonates really well today. Mm-hmm. Um one final admonition from Paul as he's explaining what a life in the will of God is like also comes well comes from verse 22 abstain from every form of evil uh there is an unfortunate translation of the King James abstain from every appearance of evil the that's not what Paul is saying if it looks like it's evil regardless of whether it really is abstain from it that might be good advice but that's not what he's saying here what he's saying is Every kind of evil, the evil that you're attracted to and the evil you're yeah. repulsed by, don't make excuses. Abstain from it. Completely stay away from it. You ever heard anybody use this verse to talk about like boycotting certain yes. products or stores? Every appearance of evil, yeah. Because if you bring, you know, every time you try to bring up that this isn't actually evil, but they subjectively believe that it leads to evil or a slippery yeah. slope kind of thing, They'll say, the Bible says abstain from every appearance of evil. And to some, this appears to be evil. And I believe that perception is important, and that may be true, but this this is not what Paul is saying. He's saying everything that is actually evil, stay away from it. That's what the word form there has to do with everything that is actually that. That's a great explanation of that, because I've heard this verse spun to be that. That's why I brought up that other interpretation, people talking about 
shopping in certain places or, yeah, you know, because somebody will come out with a political statement like this company believes in this. You're like, okay, you can't shop anywhere. Yeah, that's the problem. You can't live in this world. But something that I'm reminded of is in Acts when Paul's sailing to Rome. uh, Where where is it that he gets on the ship that has the the twin gods or the patron gods? I'm looking for it. I thought it was in. Mm. Acts 28. Yeah, there it is. The twin gods who are like the Roman gods of navigation. Mm. Paul rides on that boat right. all the way to and Rome. And he doesn't believe in those gods. <laughs> and of he course he was in chains. Because I'm thinking, yeah, he was in chains. But I'm thinking like if you take appearance of evil that far from that verse, mm-hmm. Paul's going to say, I'm going to shun the appearance right. of idol worship and I'm not riding on this boat that mm-hmm. has for a figurehead on the front these Roman false gods mm-hmm. he gets on the boat and he rides on the boat yeah i haven't thought about that I just, that's, that's interesting okay we're totally out of time so i want to thank everybody for listening a uh, lot packed in we sat down thinking this would be a short episode i think we do that every time um, um we didn't talk about thessalonians we can do that at the end of second thessalonians we can do right, our recap yeah let's do the recap yeah. if we have time at the end but we are going into second thessalonians next week so i hope that you'll stay with us and uh, hear our discussion of Second Thessalonians. It'll get really interesting yep. uh, next time on the 66. 